down in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Have you seen what's going on in our major cities run by Democrats? It certainly looks like the left is eating its own, wouldn't you say? Because now these rioters are attacking the, quote, elite areas. Maybe we'll actually be able to mention that they are rioters and not peaceful protesters. What is it that Gandhi said? First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Well, we are up to the then they fight you part, and they are going to be in deep hurt in November of 2020 when we win. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Prism of America's Education with Karen Schoen. Did you get a chance to listen to any of the talking heads lately? I noticed that every single time the question is asked of how did this start, where did this happen, why is America turning communist, and I thought Reagan got rid of communism. Well, let's tackle the last part first. No, Reagan did not get rid of communism. All he did was shovel it underground, and then they came up with beautiful new names so that no one would know that they are really communists. Uh, we have a progressives and socialists and globalists and collectivists and technocrats and fascists. And in reality, they all demand that the government control all aspects of human activity. So it doesn't matter what they're called, all roads lead to communism. Well, most people, when you hear that, and they cannot answer that question. And that's what I want to discuss with you today. It is my hope to give you enough background so that when you hear that question, you will be able to answer. Where did communism come to America? How did we get it? Why is it here? Okay, well, this is going to be a deep dive, so hold on and get your notes ready. There's another thing that I want to share with you before we go forward. How many of you realize that the majority of these plans that we are forced into following without being tested, that become huge problems for the American people, have been written by people who are under the influence of something? They were alcoholics, they were drug addicts, didn't make any difference, and they created these huge think tanks that come up with these programs and messages that if you dive deeply into them, have absolutely no way of working. However, as an elected official, I can tell you that I just need more money and I need more time. So if you reelect me, I'll make sure that this policy gets passed. Ha ha ha. Right. Uh, that's not going to happen, folks. 
So let's take a look at some of these people. Let's see who they are and let us understand how this came about in America so that we have the background information. Because I don't believe that you can move forward to the future if you have no idea what's in the past. Because if it's in the past, all we're going to do is repeat the same mistakes over and over again, which of course is the definition to insanity. So in their drunken stupors, in their symposiums, in their think tanks, as they tell us that they are going to eradicate poverty and hunger, do you believe them? Uh, let's take a look at the United Nations for a second. 1947, its inception. America paid more than our fair share. How much money did we actually pay? I'll bet it's close to a trillion dollars. So 1947 to today, 30, 40 years, and we still have poverty and hunger. So where is all of that money going? Oh, we will find out. If we go back and we look at history, Plato, well, he was an alcoholic. He was also a Greek philosopher. So how many, how many of his philosophies were shoveled onto the people when he was actually drunk and probably not even remembering what he's saying. Well, he was the one that really started the idea of population control because he felt that if you control the population, then it's easier to control the, po the people. So less people, less problems. We've heard that before too. Aristotle was his student, and he was also an alcoholic, and he believed that we should also control the population. However, he said that abortion and infanticide would do the trick so we wouldn't have to worry about killing people. They believed that controlling the population was one of the hardest things that they could do in ever, and that that is something that they had to work forward to for the future. In 1798, a man by the name of Thomas Malthus wrote a piece and he said that disease, disasters, infanticide, or genocide should be considered as a positive check. All those horrible things are to be considered positive, but they were to be a positive check on increasing the death rate. Well, wait a minute, didn't we just go through a lockdown to decrease the death rate? They are advocating increasing the death rate. And as a result, he said, as this is happening, human misery and violence will be a natural outcome. Maybe that's why the people are not saying anything as these little darlings destroy our cities, because they are feeling that this is just a natural outcome to the way they are feeling and should certainly be able to get their revenge because they are the victims. Well, as, Will, as Mathis was writing this and as Darwin was claiming that the uh, population problem would be fixed because he would, quote, have survival of the fittest. So the fittest, the strongest, would survive. They would not help the weakest, and that would naturally keep the population at a, uh, a rate that was acceptable. However, the eugenists, now they believed that 
they had to do whatever it was possible, anything, any form of depopulation would be necessary so that they could rid the earth of those inferior races and disabled people. They felt that the Negro race was an inferior race. In the early 1900s, Hillary Clinton's hero, Margaret Sanger, remember when Hillary said, uh, who, when she was asked at, a, um, at the debate who was her hero in American history, and she said, Margaret Sanger? Well, who is this Margaret Sanger? Margaret Sanger created Planned Parenthood because she felt that this would be a way to improve eugenics, allowing eugenics to have all of its natural things, but she included through abortion. And she felt that abortion would be the answer to getting rid of the inferior race and the defective persons. At the same time in our history, a lot was going on then. Uh, Hitler had just gotten power in Germany, and he had set his sights on Poland. But in order to do this successfully and make sure that he was able to have all of the people, all of the Polish people accountable, he turned to a man by the name of Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was the president of IBM at that time, and Thomas Watson took some of the communists that were brought here from Hitler <laughs> and helped to create a company called Business Machines in Poland where they created a program that enabled Hitler to number, track, and control the experiments that he did on the Polish people. The program was so incredibly successful that IBM continued its numbering and monitoring of other ethnic groups and helped Hitler all the while while they were tracking the experimentation that he was doing for his genocide against the Jewish people in Germany and the Hungarian people to make sure that the elite race, the Aryan race, would be the only one standing. Now, Communists at this time were fleeing Germany because Hitler was anti-communist. So some of them went to Russia and some of them came to America. And the ones that came to America came here under a CIC program and the CIC was later morphed into the CIA. Uh, but they came here under a CIC program called Operation Paperclip. And what that did was it took the uh, about 3,500 or so uh, German communists and gave them new identities and allowed them to infiltrate our universities, our laboratories, our corporations, spreading their communism all over the country. So this is the beginning of how communism got its roots in America. They focused on the universities because they felt that if they could get the communists' ideology into the universities, when the kids grew up, they'd be communists, and they were right. In the 50s through the 70s, the CIA developed multiple programs. One of them comes to mind, and that was MKUltra. And that was a program which used mind control to re-educate opposition. 
think tanks were created to manipulate public opinion. And the RAND Corporation was hand in glove along with these creators. They created programs of torture as uh, people were the victims of war and being tortured for information. So the RAND Corporation, they've been doing this for years. But today it's different because today we have social media and the social media is what is forming the propaganda. So the social media combines with the media and they form a whole bunch of propaganda like showing only pictures of peaceful demonstrators, claiming that the demonstrations are peaceful, and that President Trump sending um, the military in is the one that stimulated the problem. Make no mistake, communism was never designed to help the people. Communism was designed to create the haves and the have-nots, and these people considered themselves to be the haves. What's the main goal of communism? Is money, power, and control, and the forcing of the government and enabling the government to control every aspect of human development. They were interested in keeping our they were set their minds to make sure that they were going to follow what the ideology of Cloward and Piven would be, and that is that if you overload the system, the system will implode upon itself. And by leaving borders open, by bringing untold numbers of refugees and allowing illegal immigration, they have done an amazing job at destroying the the programs that Americans hold dear. So this is not a group that has any desire to help you. This is a group that only has the desire to help themselves. And what we have to remember is that everything they do is connected to everything else. There's nothing that goes on that is random. There is nothing that goes that does not have an absolute reason for it to happen. And everything is built on lies. They must lie because the ends must justify the means. They are cold, they are calculating, and they have an unwavering determination that their goals must be followed. Because they believe that if you want to rule the people, then you have to control them. You have to keep them under watch, and you must always be one step ahead of them. And the way to do that, there's only one way, and that is to lie. Remember, for them, it is always the ends justify the means. Well, let's go back again to the early 1900s where we have the Gates family. Now, William Gates Sr., he partnered with Margaret Sanger. He was also a eugenist and believed that the white Aryan race was the superior race. And he had, um, as I said, worked with uh, Planned Parenthood and cre helped create Planned Parenthood while Mama Gates worked with Watson in IBM. So she was busy writing software to kill, to, would monitor people that they were torturing, and he was busy uh, aborting uh, Negroes because they were, in his mind, quote, the inferior race. 
Well, along comes Bill Jr., and he got to partner with IBM through his mother, and he created Microsoft. Now, Bill was a, um, an LSD. He was high on LSD. They used LSD. He, Steve Jobs, they all used drugs to make sure that uh, their minds were enhanced, they thought. Um, Memory-enhancing drugs, all of these drug enhancements. Well, today, now we know Bill is a billionaire. And as a billionaire, he is using his billions to fund WHO and the NIH and the CDC and the United Nations. And he has multiple people that are connected to his organizations, one of them being Dr. Fauci. In 2017, Dr. Fauci, who was on Bill Gates's board, was at a conference that was held in Georgetown. And he described that he expected a virus outbreak during the Trump presidency. How did he know that? Was it possible because Obama was funding the Wuhan laboratory in China? Dr. Bricks, she's on another Gates-funded group called the Global Fund, and they address AIDS. In 2018, at a conference, Bill Gates simulated that 65 million people would be dead from an oncoming virus. And in November 2019, the Peerbright Institute, which is another Gates-funded organization, created and received a patent for the corona vaccine. How much more money is Bill going to be making and Fauci from this vaccine? We'll put a question mark on that one. We now have legislators in the United States, and they are saying that the shutdown could last for months, and you will not be able to get out of your house unless you have a vaccine. How much more money are they giving to Bill and Dr. Fauci? Well, that's quite a number. You can find the Prism of America's Education on the America Out Loud radio network on americaoutloud.com Saturday morning and Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, and later as a podcast on the America Out Loud podcast network. For those of you who like to read, you can find my articles on americaoutloud.com or by going to karenshone.com. A clip of the song that you heard in the beginning of the show is called My Name is America, and it has been sung by Todd Allen Herendine. You can find it on YouTube, and it is a beautiful song. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store.
Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's recap for a second. We know that their main goals are money, power, and control, and that they have a unwielding desire to control every aspect of human activity. We know that they think and believe that anyone who does not believe the way they do are evil, and evil people can be eliminated. We know that uh, we know that they believe in mutually assured destruction, which means that if I'm trading with you and you destroy me, I'll destroy you. And we know that that policy was brought forth by Cloward and Piven, and in the belief that if you overload the system, it'll collapse, and so it does. We know that everything is connected because these people appear in multiple agencies. We know that nothing is random. They have a plan for everything. Everything happens for a reason, and we also know that everything is based on a lie. Who are these people? That would be a good thing to know. Well, they are about three, four hundred, and they are spread out throughout the world, and they belong to multiple organizations and think tanks, and they're all the same people. In America, we call them the deep state. But where are they coming from? Well, they're part of organizations like the Illuminati, the International Monetary Fund, the Federal Reserve, the World Bank, a variety of governments, the Council of Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergs, the Trilateral Commissions, a variety of monarchies, a lot of dictators, and the technocrats. They have also joined forces with the Muslim Brotherhood and the Organization of Islamic Council. We also know that in order for them to control us, that they feel that they must eliminate at least three-quarters of the population. How did they go about doing that? Well, let's go back and look at history for a second. During the early 1900s, we had Karl Marx, who formed a relationship with Frederick Engels, and they became BFF. And they decided to go on a road trip through Europe. Uh, what is not widely known is that this road trip, most of them, most of the trip, they were drunk the majority of the time because both of them were alcoholics. And it was during this alcoholic stupor that they wrote the Communist Manifesto and Das Kapital. The policies, these are the policies that the left embraces, and they were written by two alcoholics. The left are following the results of what was a drunken stupor. Many of the policies that they made, because they were under the influence, made no sense for the masses. It only made sense for, those, for the abusers. Now, also at this time, we had Sigmund Freud. He is the father of uh, psychology that we follow today. 
Sigmund Freud was a drug addict, and he believed that whatever happened to you was not your fault. Blame it on your mother, blame it on your father, blame it on your teacher, blame it on your priest, blame it on everybody, but never take responsibility for your own actions. You are correct. There are no consequences for your actions. Hillary often mentioned that she followed Sigmund Freud's uh, ideas, and one of his ideas was called projection, and she follows it to a T. So whatever Hillary has done, she turns around and projects it on other people and claims that they were the ones that were the criminals and created all of those infractions. When I was in postgraduate school and I was going for my PhD in psychology, I realized that I would have to write a thesis supporting Sigmund Freud's ideas. So I couldn't do it. I never wrote this thesis, which is why I never got the PhD. Let's go back again for a minute, uh, since we're still in the 1930s. Hitler was gaining power. He was voted into Germany by the German people by lying. And he decided that he had to eliminate all of the competition in Germany. And the German communists were the ones that were giving him the biggest competition. So his goal was to get rid of all of the communists in Germany. And during that time, they left Germany, and some went to Russia, and some came to the United States. They came to the United States under a program that was put out by the Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency. I think I said the CIA, but I believe their acronym was the CIG, or the CI. I said CIC before, but this group had multiple names as always. Eventually, all of these agencies morphed together and became the CIA. But the operation by which they brought the communists here was called Operation Paperclip. And what it was was a witness protection program. So we brought the communists here, we changed their identity, and we sent them out into our universities, our laboratories, our, um, our corporations and our businesses. We sent them all throughout America without, I don't know if we realized it or maybe we did, I don't know, I was not there at the time, but no matter how intelligent these people were and no matter how expert they were in their field, the bottom line was they were still communists and they created think tanks all over the country to help to promote the communist ideology. In the 50s, we had Eisenhower, and he sent a commission to Russia to study the Russian culture and the Russian educational system, and he brought back this commission uh, who infiltrated many of the socialist programs that we have in schools today. This is an offshoot of what they learned in Russia. They also learned about how to manage the population by creating what they called city-states. And these cities were created around a particular industry. And all of the people that lived in that city worked in that industry. Now, to get from one city to the next, you had to pass checkpoints and you had to show your papers. We don't do that in America. We have freedom to travel from one city to the next, except today if you're living in New York City because Mayor de Blasio has put up checkpoints. Boy, does that ever sound familiar. 
one of the great cities that followed this platform became our mega city, which was Detroit. Detroit was called the Motor City, so the majority of the people initially that lived in Detroit had some uh, relationship with the automobile industry. In 1953, as communism was rooting, rearing its ugly head, uh, America, the Congress, passed what they called the Communist Control Act. And it recognized the problem of the infiltration of communism, but it had no teeth, as usual, to be able to do anything about it. In 1963, Representative Herlong from Florida read the 45 Goals of Communism, into the congressional record. And you may want to look that up. Just Google 45 Goals of Communism and it'll come up. It is amazing and horrifying at the same time to see how many of those goals have been accomplished. There, there are multiple state statutes in different states. I found one in Florida called 876.01. If you don't have a statute like that in your state, you should get one. Uh, you might want to pay attention to that. Anyway, uh, 876.01 in Florida states that any form of communism is a felony and punishable by a jail term or a fine. The real problem is there's no point in having these wonderful statutes on the books if nobody pays attention to them, and that is what has been happening. Now, around the same time, the United Nations was being formed, and as always, America was the biggest contributor and the freest of all of the countries in the West. America focused on prosperity and humanity with morality simultaneously. And that breakdown is what the communists had to set their sights on. They did it in a way by using propaganda. And the hero of their propaganda was called Edward Bernays. His name was Edward Bernays. He became the father of public relations and propaganda uh, in the United States. He was responsible uh, for the Virginia Slims commercial. Go back and look at them. You're not a woman unless you smoke Virginia Slims was his message. He also created the uh, bacon and eggs as the American breakfast. And through use, the use of propaganda, communism was woven into all of our economic and political policies, resulting in corporations partnering with the government, having absolutely no desire to help the people. The charter of a corporation says that their main goal is to improve the investment of their investors, of their shareholders. That's their goal. Their goal is not to make life better for Americans, unless, of course, buying their products suits that bill. Now they have taken it upon themselves as platforms to censor talk of any opposition, because communists cannot stand, they cannot handle competition. They cannot allow free thinking, a middle class, to expand their ideas and goals because they are in opposition to what the communists think. 
the communists must make people into victims. They have to take away everything. They have to make people feel miserable so that people will then turn around and give them their, uh, their life's blood, their power, and their rights and freedoms. Edwin Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. And because of their close relationship, he followed a lot of Sigmund Freud's psychological teachings and, inf and incorporated it into his propaganda. I want to define propaganda, and that is information or ideas or rumors that are deliberately spread to either help or harm a person, a group, a movement or an institution. And it is the deliberate spreading of this information that Bernays was the American genius able to fleece the masses. And this is what Bernays said. This was a quote from him. Whatever of social importance is done today, whether in the field of public relations and propaganda, whatever social importance is done. Edward Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, and as a result of that relationship, he took a lot of the teachings of Freud's psychological teachings and infiltrated them into what he was doing with propaganda and, man and manipulation. Now let's define propaganda. Propaganda is information or ideas or rumors deliberately spread to help or harm a person, a group, a movement, an institution, or a nation. And it is the deliberate spreading of this information that became our advertising and marketing programs. What did Edwin believe? He believed that... What did Edward believe? He believed that, quote, Whatever of social importance is done today, whether in politics, finance, manufacture, agriculture, charity, education, or other fields, must be done with the help of propaganda. Basically, he was believing that people were incapable of making their own decisions and that his techniques would be effective into guiding them into purchasing whatever it was that he desired them to purchase. So his programs were picked up by a lot of the corporations. And they used his methods today to design their deceptive marketing and advertising campaigns so that Americans would buy things that they don't need just so that they would be able to be accepted by the group. He believed that people are rarely aware of the real reasons that motivate their actions. So he should be the motivator, or the advertiser should be the motivator. And if you look at the commercial food industry and the fast foods, they were using additives and processed food, and that's what Americans were buying. And is it any wonder that the health of Americans, their obesity, diabetes, all of these things that are attributed to eating these disastrous meals uh, are now being promoted? And it was only recently that we began paying attention to what we were eating. Bernays believed that the population was so preoccupied with consumerism that they rarely paid attention to what they were buying. And if it harmed them, it didn't make any difference. 
Uh, the Virginia Slims commercial is the one that comes to my mind because in that commercial, you were not a female if you were not smoking Virginia Slims. Even though Virginia Slims were killing you, it didn't make any difference. His system used subliminal messaging and they uh, infiltrated the thoughts from Hollywood and the media and school. So an idea might be presented in school and then it would be promoted through the media and Hollywood. And then things would become normal that, normal, that we would never have considered normal before, like pornography. And we have pornography in our schools. And once we normalize something, then it becomes not horrible to have it being done. And there's no outcry. So today we have unsuspecting students and adults who are brainwashed into spending their money on things they don't need, regardless of whether or not it, it inhibits their family or, inhib or creates their death. It doesn't matter. They are so driven to have to do that. And the Ministry of Propaganda has really become what we today call public relations. So in summary, the government and the greedy corporations will use and control the minds of the public in any way they deem profitable. That's the whole thing, is the bottom line of profitability. And manipulation through the use of this psychological persuasion of emotion and trust and the upper echelon, the elite, uh, they feel that they can control every facet of life concerning the American citizen. This is a quote from Bernays. There are invisible rulers who control the desires of millions. It is not realized to what extent the words and actions of our most influential public men are dictated by shrewd persons operating behind the scenes. I always wondered if President Kennedy knew what was going on because in November, uh, just before he went to Dallas, he went to Columbia University. And at his speech, he said that the high office of the president has been used to foment a plot to destroy the Americans' freedom, and before I leave office, I must inform the citizens of this plight. Unfortunately, he was killed before he was able to share that information. Next, we're going to tackle some of the effects of propaganda and what we can do about it, because I believe that although knowledge is power, it's only powerful if you use that knowledge. If you know something and you don't share the information, it's like not having it at all. So the to-do part is more important than the learning part. And this is the to-do part. So the to-do part is most important. You're listening to The Prism of America's Education with Karen Schoen. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan 
protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. last segment, we were talking about propaganda and the influence of the media and uh, the think tanks on the way Americans think and how through the years they have destroyed a lot of uh, what we thought and come up with their new version of truth. Well, I began to wonder if propaganda had something to do with the way the country is reacting to the coronavirus the uh, CCP coronavirus. So I decided that it would be great to hear from an expert. I asked my friend, Dr. Joe Doyle, uh, because he has been following the virus continually and we've been talking about it for the last three months. I want to know what's going on with the virus currently, but if propaganda has anything to do with the way the nation is viewing it. Welcome, Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for joining me. I know how much you study all of the statistics, but what is going on? Are we improving? Are we not improving? Nobody knows what to believe anymore. So we're asking you. Hi, hi Karen. <laughs> Good to be with you again. And you're right. Uh, the media has created such a hysteria, especially past three weeks uh, with all of the cases. And as as I say uh, all the time, the, we don't really need to look just at the cases. We need to look at hospitalizations and, more importantly, death. Uh, so, when we first started all of this back in March, um, we saw what was happening in Italy and in New York City, and the number of cases and people in the hospitals were overwhelming the resources. Plus, we didn't have enough PPE, personal protective equipment, and ventilators. So we did the lockdown as a nation to flatten the curve so that we could better utilize the resources so that everybody who needed a bed and was ill could get the bed, hospital bed. So we've done that, but the cases now are coming into the summer, and that was fully planned. But the media seem to have forgotten all of that, and they are using these cases uh, as propaganda to try to keep the economy closed down, to prevent the schools from reopening. And you see that more, of course, in the blue Democrat-controlled states uh, as opposed to the red Republican-controlled states. So, yes, there is a, a bit of propaganda here. Um, do you feel that while, while you are looking at the deaths and the uh, hospitalization that we are improving, or is it getting worse? Uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's leveled off. I would say it's stabilized. Uh, we know that we're going to have the cases, but we need to have them in a controlled manner. For instance, in Florida, uh, we're up to over 31,000 uh, hospitalizations right now. We're getting about 3,000 to 3,400 new hospitalizations a week. The deaths are stabilized, 
We have had 8,500 deaths in the last 20 weeks. Um, this week we had 1,151 deaths. The prior week we had 1,285 deaths. So the deaths are starting to come down a little slowly, which is a good sign. And we know that we have certain spots in Florida that are hot spots. We have Miami-Dade. We have uh, Broward, which is Fort Lauderdale. We have Tampa Bay. We have uh, Orlando. Some people would even say Southwest Florida is a hot spot, too. However, right here down in Naples, while we've had several cases, the cases are in younger people. In March, the average age was 58. Now the average age is around 38 to 40. Uh, and, and the younger people may have a mild form of the illness, but they're not hospitalized. They don't end up in the intensive care unit and they don't die. Oh, that is so, good news. Isn't that good news? Yes, Tell me is. that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is good news. But we have, uh, with the propaganda, uh, we have uh, people who want to keep the schools closed. And we need the schools to reopen. Governor DeSantis, as well as the Education Commissioner Corcoran, have told the school districts they have to open by the end of August. And some, so the school districts are starting to do that. We see that Hillsborough County wants to be all online initially, and uh, the governor and commissioner have rejected that. Other schools are doing hybrid models uh, where we know that if children have underlying conditions such as asthma, diabetes, maybe childhood leukemia, et cetera, they should stay home. Uh, as well as teachers who are over the age of uh, 50 with underlying conditions uh, could teach from home and, and be part of the virtual education program. So the, it, it can work, uh, but by and large, people need to get back into the school. Could not agree with you more because uh, school, well, unfortunately, most of the kids that are going to school look at school for the social resources and not so much for the education. Dr. Joe, I want to thank you so much, and we will be looking forward to next week, and hopefully you'll come and say, not only have we flattened the curve, but we're going down. Thank you. Well, we've been talking about propaganda and its effect on our communities. The biggest effect that we have, I believe, is in school. And my organization, uh, to which I am part of and very proudly to be part of, is the Florida Citizens Alliance. And the reason why I want to introduce everyone to them is because we have been doing things. I'm a firm believer that knowledge is only fantastic when you get to use it. If you know things and you don't share the information, then what good is it? So by using the Florida Citizen Alliance website, there are multiple things that we as individuals can do or we can do together. And I'd like to bring in Pastor Rick Stevens, who is one of the founding members of the Alliance. Thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Pastor Rick. It is wonderful, as always, to be part of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Before we go any further, can you tell everyone where they can find the Alliance, because that's what's really important. Absolutely, and thanks, Karen, for the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and your audience. Uh, Florida Citizens Alliance can be found on the web, and we can be found dispersed all across the state of Florida. But if people want to know more, they need to go to 
goflca.com. That's goflca.com. And they can find us there. Our website will give them an introduction to who we are and what we've done and help them have some ideas of what they might do next and how they might help their students as well. So go goflca.com. One of the things that the Alliance was very uh, part was part of was the passing of a bill called 989. Can you share that information and how important that was to get the ball rolling? Because maybe other states will be able to do the same kind of thing uh, on their quest to get rid of communist core, I call it. Communist core, not common core. <laughs> Well, what, what we did was um, we did persuade the legislature, both the Florida House and the Senate, to pass what we now know as HB 989, and the governor at the time signed that bill into law. That bill essentially, and bill now law, essentially allowed the residents of Florida the opportunity to be involved in the selection of instructional materials for their students. Prior to that time, there was only a very limited opportunity, and this opened the door wider for people to to step up and say, no, we don't think this is appropriate for our students, and to express those objections to the school boards. Now, we came to that, and you kind of referred to it, because we were concerned about Common Core. When we started the what first was the Southwest Florida Citizens Alliance, one of the huge issues that, that we heard as we listened to people express their concerns was education, and at that point, people had identified all across the state that Common Core was not helping their kids learn. And they were very concerned on a lot of levels that, that something needed to be done. So we adopted that as one of our initiatives to try to do something about Common Core and get it taken out of the schools, get it out of the state. And so we went to Tallahassee. You, you know, sometimes you just gotta plunge in and you just gotta try. Sometimes you don't know what you're doing, but by doing it, you learn more about what you're doing. So we went to Tallahassee and we tried and we worked and we talked to many members of the Florida House and many senators and pretty much got nowhere. They didn't want to hear about Common Core. They didn't want to talk about Common Core. That was a done deal. They didn't want to be bothered by it. At, at first, we were a little surprised by that. Then we came to realize that a lot of them had voted for Common Core, and so we were putting them in an awkward political position. But we weren't quite as concerned about the politics of it as we were about helping our students learn. So we stepped back and said, okay, if, if the if the legislature is not interested in passing legislation that will get rid of Common Core, what can we do to strategically improve education by attacking parts of Common Core? And one of the things that people were concerned about were the instructional materials. And so we set about trying to give residents of Florida a stronger voice in that process because we figured that they were the ones that cared about their kids most and they needed to be involved in that and the school boards needed to welcome their involvement. And so that was one of our strategic moves to work on Common Core was to attack the process by which the materials were selected so that better materials could be chosen. One of the things I think that we should all be aware of is that education is big business and the textbooks are being selected for the people not the, the teachers selecting their textbooks. They are already predetermined. And in 
2012, President Obama, through Arne Duncan, created a grant by which all textbooks they gave, I think, $330 million to Pearson, who, by the way, makes several billion dollars from selling us their communist textbooks. But they um, were instructed that all textbooks now had to be aligned to Common Core. So even if your state is saying, we don't have Common Core, they're using the textbooks that promote Common Core. One of the things that I learned from the Alliance is that most of the legislators had no idea what was going on in school, which is why they were favoring the fancy words of Common Core. And as we did a deep dive, we discovered the pornography that was just everywhere. Would you like to please give us a comment of what we did with that pornography? Because this is another thing that we can do. Well, we've had a number of people help us with going through materials of all kinds that are used in Florida schools to evaluate the content and to identify the objectionable content, pornographic content. And if people go to our website, they can find that report, the most recent version of that. It's not for the faint of heart, and people should be prepared for what they're going to find there. It's not because we wanted to find it, but it's because we felt a sincere obligation that if our children are being exposed to this, we need to find people that will help us take a look, identify the problems, and point them out. And so we have that report that will help, and we've used that to talk to legislators. We haven't gotten anywhere near where we think we should have. Uh, it's, it's surprising the barriers that pop up. It's surprising the excuses that are made. But nonetheless, we're continuing to work at that. There are some other possibilities uh, under development that might help us with that. But really, in terms of, of moving the needle, one of the best things people can do is go to their local school board members and, and point out what's going on and ask them to get involved and to protect the students. Florida law is strong to protect the students. It's just not being obeyed. It's not being followed. And so if, if, if citizens across the state of Florida will step up and let their concerns be known, that will be a big, big move in the right direction. Talk to their member of the Florida House, talk to their senator, talk to their local school board members, because those are the kinds of, of conversations that can lead to real change at some point down the line. And don't expect quick results. I mean, it's been kind of surprising to us that this whole issue of this objectionable content hasn't made a difference more quickly. Um, but it taught us and reminded us that all of these kinds of things are marathons, not sprints. Sometimes we think that people would ought to just step up and do the right thing, and of course they should. But often it takes much more effort and much longer than we ever expect. Not because we want it to, it just seems to be difficult to get the results that we want. So go to the website, take a look at that report, and that will help. Check and see if your schools have that book, that uh, material that's referenced there and ask why they're exposing students to that and, and ask them to take it out. Because if it's objectionable to, to us and if it's harmful to minors, see, that's where the Florida law is so helpful. If it's harmful to minors, it can't be in our schools. <laughs> that is absolutely huge. This reminds me of one of the meetings that we were dis we had, and one of the people was were discussing that they went to the school board and read an excerpt of one of the books and the, the 
uh, chair of the school board told them to stop that it was inappropriate for a school board meeting. So it's inappropriate for a school board meeting, but it's okay to be in school for our kids to read. Um, this is a really big issue, and these textbooks or these books can be found in your local media center, which is what used to be called the library. Um, the uh, other thing I think, and I'm looking at the COVID uh, closing of schools or keeping schools limited, would be the wonderful opportunity to homeschool. And where's the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance? Where do we stand on homeschool? Well, we stand in general with the idea that parents ought to have a choice of what their students do for school. And we think homeschooling is a very, very good option for that. And for many, many students, it's the best option. Parents are often concerned because it seems like such a huge project to take on and they feel overwhelmed by how could they ever do that. But we need to make sure they understand and we are trying to help parents understand that there are more helps for them these days than there have ever been. There are more accessible curricula out there. There are people that will help them. There are local co-ops where parents get together and support one another. There are online options that will help with all of this. Parents really are capable of doing this, and we really think that it will help a lot of students learn. People are concerned about the virus, but I think they should also be concerned about the quality of education. And many, many times the homeschooling options are just a high quality, higher quality than they're, than they're getting at their local public school. And please don't think, oh, I'm not a teacher. I don't know if I can teach my child. You can, because the homeschool uh, curricula that Pastor Rick was describing, which you will be able to find on the Florida Citizens Alliance website, helps you be able to teach your child the truth about America, the responsibility that they need to have, the the self-respect that children should be having, only you can instill that upon them. So we have to stop giving our most prized, uh, prized parts of our family, our children, over to people who don't treat them the way we would. And Pastor Rick, I want to thank you. Uh, can you tell everybody where they can go and find this information? Sure. Meet us, get acquainted with us at goflca.com. That's G-O, goflca.com. And there's a lot of information there. And if you can find what you want there, that's great. If you need some extra help, feel free to reach out by email. We'll be glad to try to help in any way we can. Well, thank you, Pastor Rick and Florida Citizens Alliance and the wonderful things that you are all doing. And folks, you don't have to be in Florida to look at the to join the alliance and to copy their information copy what we have done and form an alliance in your state because we are beyond the spot of what can we do we are now up to the spot of what we must do but I'll always stand proud and free I'm America don't tread on me